Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Again, that's Romans 8, 1 through 11, and it can be found on page 1122 in the Black Pew Bible in front of you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. There, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the, do- although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit of life, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Thank you, Caleb, for reading Romans uh, chapter 8, first few verses. Uh, we're going to be in Romans 8 still. Um, this is, I was looking through my, my notes and I preached a sermon on Romans 8, 1 through uh, 8 before. So I don't want to duplicate that, but I needed to read that so you can kind of see where we are uh, in this book. Uh, this is my favorite book of the Bible. Um, Romans is a, is a great, great book. This is my favorite chapter in the Bible. It's a great chapter for us to understand what God has done through Christ for us. If you look at the first verse, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This lets us know that at one point we, we stood condemned before the Lord. There's a time when we were enemies of Christ. If, if you're a believer, there's a time when you were an enemy of Christ. There's, you were opposed to the Lord. Your sin was in opposition to Him. Your life was in opposition to Him. But we have this word here that says, there's therefore now no condemnation. No longer, if you're in Christ, are you His foe. You're not His enemy. Now you're a son or a, ch- or a daughter of, of the Lord. And so there's no condemnation left. It's been taken at, at the cross for Christ. We see in these verses that something has happened as a result of, of being in Christ Jesus. They're no longer under condemnation. They've been pardoned, have been set free. Those who are in Christ have been. They have a new relationship with the Spirit who gives life. They didn't have this before. The result of this is freedom from, awaiting, from the awaiting condemnation for the sin and opposition to God. We've been free. We've been set free from that condemnation that was, that was weighing down on us, that was pressing on us. We've been set free from that. What a great salvation we have in Christ. No longer are they set free from the condemnation, but we're set free from sin. We're no longer a slave to sin. We're not in bondage to sin anymore. The, the freedom that we have in Christ means that those shackles of sin that, that we were 
stuck to. We were a, a, a slave to sin and then released. And no longer do we have to sin. We are not shackled to sin anymore. We have freedom to live in, in freedom in Christ. We're not um, bound to sin anymore. Even more than that, the, the Spirit that lives within us gives us freedom and gives us a power to overcome sin. We're able to avoid sin. We're able to, to, to get out from underneath it because of the, the Spirit that lives within us. We're not slave to it anymore. That's not something we had before. This is a freedom that God has given us in Christ. Uh, they're also free to walk in the Spirit. He set us free. If you look at verse 2, uh, the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We're, we're free to walk in the Spirit. We're free to walk in the newness of life that we have in Christ Jesus. Before, we were a slave to sin, but now we have freedom. Even though we're slaves to Christ, that slavery to Christ gives us freedom um, to walk in and newness of life, and, and honoring and serving the Lord. In Philippians 4, Paul provides a list to the Philippians on why they were, were to set their minds upon as he encourages them to not be anxious about anything. A lot of times things in our life can weigh us down. The, the weight of this world, um, the worries of this world can, can weigh us down, even as believers. So Paul was encouraging them not to be anxious about anything, that the peace of God would guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Not just are they set free, but their mind and their heart has been guarded in Christ. Their, their mind and heart, we have a new mind in Christ. We have a new heart because of Christ. Philippians 4, 8 uh, says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything that's excellent, if, any, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In Christ, we are set free from the bondage of sin and death, and we are free to think about these things in our life. We're to, to focus on these things, Paul says. When the worries of this world uh, encroach upon us, when they weigh us down, we're able to, to focus on those things and gain freedom in Christ, uh, even in our, the midst of our worries. So those, that's for those who are, who are in the Spirit. The world's focus, the flesh, is not on these things because they're still shackled to sin and death. They're still in that bondage. Not so for us. We've been set free, so we should walk in that freedom rather than choosing to continue on in shackles. Uh, we also need to be... A, oh, I, I can deal with this sometimes. Self-talk. You, you have a conversation with someone and maybe it didn't go well, then, or you heard somebody say something and you think, what did they mean by that? Or maybe they, somebody answered the phone and they say, what? And you're like, well, they're already upset with me. No, probably not. Our self-talk can, can cause those issues, but we're free to think about the things that are honorable, things that are, that are glorifying Christ. Don't be stuck with those, those self-talk things either. Uh, the Lord wants us to focus on things that are right and just and pure and true and Him. Those are the things that describe Him. Back to Romans, verse 9. Uh, he is contrasting their new way of life in the Spirit to the old way of, the old way of life yielded to the flesh. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. He's contrasting the, the ways that they're, they're being viewed. One way is in the flesh, which is worldly, apart from Christ, opposed to Christ. The other way is in the Spirit, which is honoring Christ, which is being renewed by Christ, which is a new way of living. It's a new life that God's given them. Uh, and if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, it continues. And anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. 
So if you have the Spirit of Christ, you belong to Him. If you do not belong to Him, you do not have the Spirit of Christ. These things happen at the same time. It's not something that you gain the Spirit of Christ later on once you've been a Christian for a certain number of years. No, it's at the point of salvation, Christ lives within you. You have the Spirit of God that lives within you. It's not a, there's not a delay. There's not a maturity. We do mature as believers, but not to mature to a certain point where then Christ comes and lives within us. We have the Spirit at the time of salvation. He says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of God does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So we see two options here. We see in the flesh or in the Spirit. We don't see them working together. We don't see them happening at the same time. You're even either living this one way of life, which is in the flesh, which is opposed to Christ, or you live in another life, which is in the Spirit, which is submitted to Christ, which is having faith in Christ and God's providence in Christ and, and His daily providence as well. If there's been true conversion for the person who claims to be in Christ, then the Spirit of God dwells in them. It's not Oprah, Oprah Winfrey type of spirituality either. Everybody's got a spirit. Everybody, you know, everybody's spiritual. Not because everybody's got a spirit, but everybody's spiritual. And when she talks about spirituality, it's not talking about biblical spirituality. It's about um, mystical types of things and, and Eastern religion type of things and things like that. So it's not biblical understanding of spirituality. It's it's um, Oprah spirituality. We also see the terms Spirit of Christ uh, used interchangeably with the Spirit of God. If you look back up in verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. These aren't two separate thoughts. This is the Spirit of God. This is Christ. They are one and the same. This is it's not something that's, that's um, uh, two different people. Two different persons of the one Godhead, but this is the Spirit of God. They're used interchangeably here. We have the Spirit of God. We have the Spirit of Christ living within us. We have the Holy Spirit within us. All three um, are present in these, two, these couple of verses. They're referring to the Lord taking up residence in the believer. If you're a believer, if your faith is in Christ, the Lord lives within you. The Lord is, is there present with you all the time. You're not God. Just because He's there with you doesn't mean you're God, but He's there with you to encourage you, to empower you, uh, to avoid sin, to discipline us as we do sin, to correct us. It's talking about the, the presence of the Lord within us. If the Spirit of God dwells in the person, then they are Christ's possession. Think about a possession. The possessor is the one who owns it. If we are Christ's possession, what does that mean? He owns us. That means that His will is to be done. That means that we're, we've submitted our life to Him and He's the one that's in charge. It means instead of me doing what I want to do all the time, I consider, what does Christ want me to do? How would He want me to react in a situation? How would He want me to love my neighbor? How would He want me to serve my wife or my family? How would He want me to submit to my husband or to the authorities I have at work? These are the things we consider as believers because we are not our possession anymore. We're Christ. He is the one that's in charge and we submit to Him. Jesus has the right to say how His possession is to behave. If you're a believer, He has the right to say that to you. Where do we get that information? 
from the Bible. We yield back to the Bible, yield ourselves to the Bible and understand how He wants us to behave. That's our authority. Paul's already dealt with uh, this in chapter 6. Re- result is spiritual life and the death to the flesh. He's already dealt with this in chapter 6. In Sunday school, we dealt with that today as well. Last week, we had baptism. What a great, great time we had showing the, those, who, those who have come to faith in Christ recently or the last couple of years saying out loud, I'm, I'm a follower of Christ. It's a picture of salvation. Baptism doesn't save us. It's a picture of our salvation. But Paul is dealing with that in, in Romans in 6, saying that we are identifying with Christ. Romans 6, 5 says this, For if we have been united with Him, and that united is being by, through faith, in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Chapter 6 Verse 6, no longer enslaved to sin. That's been separated. That, that bondage that we had has been done away with. We're no longer enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with Him. Physically, we may die for Christ. In some countries, people do. In this time, people did. We, we still see today there's a Nigerian pastor and some other folks within the last few weeks that have been killed because of their faith in Christ. But we're, we're, we're no longer, as if we haven't been killed physically, identifying with Christ, we are dying to ourselves. We're dying to sin. We're dying to the flesh. We're dying to our desires in the world. That's what it means, identifying with Christ. We're dying to ourselves. We're, we're identifying with Him and we're taking His life on for us. Verse 7, For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died once. For, he died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. The death He died, He died once to sin. He died for sin once for all. His one death... He died for all who would come to faith in Christ. The sin that's on me, the sin that's on you, that sin has been atoned for if your faith is in Christ. The sin of all whose faith has been in Christ over the years, over the millennia, over the coming years, however many years we have left till He comes again, that sin is covered at the cross. But there's still sin that hasn't been paid for. The sin for those whose faith is not in Christ. That sin is still weighing on them. That sin, because God is just, God will punish that sin. But there's hope in Christ. There's hope that's still there that those who, can turn, to, who turn by faith to Christ, that sin will be covered. Today, if your faith is not in Christ, your sin is still on you. It's still weighing you down. And then one day it'll be atoned for. But if you put your faith in Christ, repent of your sin and put your faith in Christ, it's already taken care of. All of your sins, past, present, and future. He died once for all sin. He's the perfect sacrifice. The perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So verse, verse 11 continues, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So when we identify with Christ, we're no longer living for ourselves. We're no longer living for this, this world, this flesh that that's a, we're still a part of. 
we're considering that dead. We're, we're considering that dead to Christ. We're alive to serve the Lord now. We've been set free. We're a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says we're created new to, to, to walk in His um, steps. And what He's done for us is gotten rid of the old. And he's given us the new. You consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to Christ Jesus. If the Spirit of God does not dwell in them, then they are not His. Spirit of Christ does not dwell in you, then you are not His. So we see that this new life in Christ changes how we live in the world. It's not, things don't just continue as they were. There's a change that happens within us. And there's a change that happens in our behavior as well. If you're, is your life different now because you know Christ? Are you often thinking about things above, as we read about in Philippians? Do you consider Him throughout the day? Are you putting to death the deeds of the flesh? and dying to yourself and serving others? Do you actively consider others and how you can encourage other believers, spurring them on to be more like Christ? This is what we as believers should be doing. We're we're considering these things. These things are driving us during the day. Not perfectly, because we're not perfect, but these things are our new lifestyle. This is a new lifestyle that we're living. Is your lifestyle reflective in those words? Are you considering the lost and how you can switch that conversation over to the gospel with them so you can tell them the good news? One that lifts Christ high, conversation that lifts Him high and glorifies Him. All those questions that are you, but I can replace it with am I. I'm there too. We're all in the same boat as Christians. We're we're here to, to love the Lord, to serve the Lord, and we need to consider these things in our life. Are we doing this? Are we living a life that honors and pleases the Lord? Is our life different because of Christ? I think Adrian Rogers says, no difference, no Christ. There's a difference in our life because of that. Not only is there a change within us here in this world, but it secures for us a hope that we have in Christ. Not just here, but there. Once we get past this world, that we'll live with Him forever. In verse 11 we read, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Drew had a tough time in Sunday school class today. There's Miss Cindy. Uh, she, was, she was crying. My, my, my mom passed away in October, and she often thinks about her. Some days are tougher for her than others. But we have hope in Christ. When, when, at her funeral, I, I spoke and said, this is not the end. Just the, the casket being there is not the end. Our hope is in the future. This reminds us that things aren't supposed to be this way. This reminds us of what sin has done to the world what sin has done in our life. Sin, we're, we've been bound by sin, but now the hope is in Christ. That we, we're no longer bound to sin. We've been free from that. And so we can be encouraged that, not just that we'll see Grammy in heaven or your, your loved one in heaven again. In comparison to Christ, I think we'll be joyful for that, but Christ will be there. The one who has brought us there. The one who's forgiven our sins. The one who has paid that debt that we could never pay. And that'll be the joy that we have. There'll be joy in reunion with other believers. But it's, it, it will and should compel in, in comparison to the joy we have in Christ. Talks about in, verse, uh, in that verse says that from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. His Spirit dwells within us. We're not left alone 
to live in this life. We have the Spirit within us that He gives us the power, gives us a desire to turn away from sin, gives us the desire to do what's right, and He lives within us to give us the power to, to fulfill it. 2 Corinthians 1, 21-22 says this, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has appointed and has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. As a believer, we have the Spirit here with us to help us here on earth, but we have a guarantee for our resurrection. We've got the Spirit within us that guarantees our reunion with Christ. It's not a just this one earth and that's it. It's eternity. When does eternity start? At the point of salvation in us, our eternal life begins then. It's not we'll get eternal life once we die. Eternal life resides within us now if you're a believer. It will never end. We've died to ourselves, but our life is in Christ as His, in His resurrection. What a blessed hope we have in Christ that is effectual here on earth, but also when we get to heaven with our own resurrection. Consider the blessing that has been poured out on us who've repented and put our faith in Christ. In some sense, we, we were on a team that opposed God altogether. We were on a team that opposed God at every turn. Even if you or I lived a life that's pretty tame, you know, people say he's a good guy, and, and by all standards, he's a good guy. We're still opposing the Lord if our faith is not in Christ. Up to the point where you and I repented and believed, we were living in the flesh in opposition to the Lord. Even if you're a good guy, good girl, if your faith is not in Christ, if you haven't made Him Lord of your life, you're still in opposition. And the Bible says that even our good works are like dirty rags. The best we can provide is like a dirty rag. So as we consider that, the proper and right response to, is a, feel of, a feeling of indebtedness. We're indebted to the Lord. And we see in these next verses, um, Paul's going to talk about that, but this, this indebtedness shouldn't cause us to think that we can pay it back. It shouldn't cause us to think that, that I'm going to pay this debt off one day. I'm indebted to somebody for some reason, and I'm like, man, I'll, someday I'll get that paid off, and I won't be indebted to them anymore. That's different with the Lord. We'll never be able to pay this, this price that He's paid. So this indebtedness, what do we do with it? It turns in, from indebtedness to um, this blessing of salvation that we have. It shouldn't cause us to think that we can do something to pay Him back. It should well up within us a heart of gratitude and thankfulness. That's a response, a proper response for us as we consider the, the Lord's salvation. It's thankfulness. And it's, it's, it's a, a heart of gratitude uh, that, that is reflected in our life. It's reflected in our interactions with others and in our private life as well. So to consider where you are, do you view the following Christ like freedom and therefore you're thankful? Your salvation? Is that a freedom thing for you and you're thankful for it? Or do you view the Christian life that God has called us to as a life of missing out? That God's a killjoy? Got all these rules I've got to follow. How you view that may be an indicator of, of where you are with Christ. And Christ has set us free. It's not something that we are, are downtrodden about. It's a joy that we have. It's a, a blessing that we recognize. And because of that, we're thankful for what the Lord's done. We no, long, we no, long, no, no longer owe a debt for our sin, but a lifetime of gratitude to the Lord. Gratitude and joy because of the freedom that we now have. Uh, not only that, but we see more 
were described a little bit differently as we continue in verse 12. Or in Romans, Paul described it a little bit differently. Verse 12, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh. What's he doing here? He's contrasting the flesh compared to the Spirit. The old way of life compared to the new way of life. He's saying we're not a debtor to the flesh anymore. We're not bound by sin. We don't owe sin anything. We don't owe uh, the flesh anything. We're not to live to the flesh anymore. Verse 13, But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There's an action that's happening for those whose faith is in Christ. We're putting to death the deeds of the Spirit, or de- the, de- the deeds of the flesh. We're recognizing sin in our life and we're, we're pushing that sin away. We're trying to, to push it away. We're, we're not yielding to it. We're yielding to the Lord. That should be the consistent thing that's happening in our life. If we're just giving in to all the sin that, that's approaching us, uh, we've got an issue going on. We need to, to, to seek the Lord. We need to make sure that our salvation is in Christ. Verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back on, into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Paul is reminding us that we no longer shackle to sin, live into the flesh, but rather we're to kill those deeds in the body. Being led by the Spirit means being yielded. If you look back up in verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. These are, that's the way to describe those of us who, whose faith is in Christ. We're yielded to the Spirit. We're submitting to the Spirit in our life. We've, we've, we've yielded to the Spirit's testimony of who Christ is. We've, we've given up. So I, nothing I can do, it's you. We're yielded to the Spirit. Is the Spirit going to lead us to just toy around with sin though? What is it going to tell us to do with sin, the Bible say? To kill it. So if we're just toying around with sin, we've got these sins that we... We're hanging on to. We're not taking them seriously. That's not the Spirit telling us to do that. That's the flesh. We're not to be living that way. The Spirit tells us to kill those things. The Spirit's given us power and, and the, um, the ability to kill those things in life, to avoid sin. No temptation has seized you, said that, which is common to man, but God's faithful to do what? Provide a way out. He's not causing us to sin. He's giving us a way out. And not just a way out, He's given us the ability to get out of there. Sometimes we may want to toy around with sin, but it's not from the, that's not from God. We're to kill sin in our life. This is an indicator of who are His. Those who are toying around with it or those who are, who are killing it. Is the person living in sin with little or no thought to God's perspective? Just free willy, everything's fine, and, you know, got, me and God are okay. You know, not considering sin in our life, not considering how the Lord uh, is viewing our lifestyle, not considering how the Lord is viewing our relationships. Living with sin with little or no thought to God's perspective. Or is the person fighting and killing sin in their lives as they desire to please the Lord? Is it a focus in our life? Are we, we're desiring to honor the Lord. We're desiring to do what's right. We're desiring to love others. We're desiring to do the things that the Bible teaches us to do. We're, that's our desire. That's the things that we're... Our life is described by. Your life could be described one way or the other, probably. Mine can as well. 
In verse 16, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are His. We have an assurance of our salvation. The Spirit gives me confidence that I'm His. Not because of things that I've done. Not because of my abilities. Not because of what I could potentially do. I have this confidence because of what Christ has done on the cross. I have this confidence because of what the Bible teaches. My confidence is not in me. My confidence is in Christ. And that's the Spirit that gives us that confidence that we understand what's, what salvation is. We understand what Christ has done for us and we have salvation in Christ. It's not a confidence in, in anything that I can achieve or attain. What I bring to the, to the equation is sin and death. What He brings is life and righteousness. And our assurances in what He has said, we can have assurance in our salvation and the Spirit gives us a peace that we are His. There may be times in, in someone's life who's a true believer that uh, they don't have that assurance. Um, they know Christ, but in those times they, they don't have that assurance of Christ. I think in 2 Peter um, 2, I'm sorry, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8 gives us some verses to help in those areas. You may be here and, and you're struggling with your salvation. I'm not telling you you're saved. The Holy Spirit needs to convince you of that. Years ago, one of my kids wanted me to convince him or her that he or she was saved. I don't want to name that person. But it's like, that's not my role. The Holy Spirit does that. You deal with that. Deal with the Lord with that. And He'll give you an assurance of your salvation because He lives within you. His Spirit will give you that assurance. 2 Peter 1, 5-8 says this, For this very reason, make every effort to su supplement your faith with virtue and with virtue, knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Often, I think we can cannot have an assurance of our salvation because we feel like we're not really doing anything for the Lord. And it may be you're not doing a whole lot for the Lord. So what, what do we do then? We have indication here what we need to do. Add to your faith virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. <coughs> By adding these things to our life, it's not that we are feeling like we're attaining salvation, but we have this assurance that the Spirit gives us we're doing what the Lord wants us to do. We're living a life that the Lord wants us to live. And these things are evident in our life. And these things are honoring the Lord and they're pleasing the Lord. So those things are being added. So now I have an assurance that I'm doing what the Lord wants me to do and I'm not questioning my salvation all the time. Don't do these things to have a false sense of salvation. Because salvation, should, your faith should be in Christ and what He's done, not in the things that you can do or attain. So if you struggle in this area, you're a believer and you struggle in this area, Look at those verses, 2 Peter 1, 5-8. through 8. Those things can be a help to you, I believe. Having these things present in our life in an increasing measure helps us to be effective and fruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and keeps us sensitive to the Spirit's guidance and witness as to we, as that we are in Christ. It'll help us to be sensitive to the Lord. It'll help us to, um, to know the Lord better because it's increasing our knowledge of the Lord. We have assurance. Verse 17, 
We've been adopted into His family. He has made us joint heirs with Christ, (coughs) His sons and daughters. This kinship with Christ results in desire to please and honor Him with our lives. The Spirit within us gives us, guides us away from sin and empowers us to reject sin. Of ourself and of our flesh, we sin. But the Spirit within us yearns for the Lord. The Spirit within us yearns to honor Christ. The Spirit within us, if you're a believer, wants to do what the Lord wants us to do. <coughs> so we, He guides us away from sin and He empowers us uh, to not sin. When we are not relying on the Spirit is when we get in trouble. Um, we fall back into the flesh and, and that's the place where we don't want to be. When we fail, the Spirit also convicts us of sin. He draws us back. <coughs> so the Spirit enables us, gives us the ability to not sin, but when we fail, He convicts us of that sin and He draws us back to Himself. The Spirit is, is, is protecting us all the way around. Uh, draws us back to the loving arms of the Father. Abba, Father, means Daddy. It's an Aramaic term, means Daddy. Uh, my kids, my little ones still call me, I guess all of them still call me Daddy. I call my Daddy, Daddy. It's a little different sound, but I feel weird saying Daddy, Daddy sometimes, but, but it's a term of affection. It's love, it's, it's adoration. It's a term of endearment. It's a term of uh, protection, trust. It's a great name. Great name to have. As a father, there are times when I know something my child has done or that they're going to do or may potentially do. I've warned them not to make that decision, given them the opportunity to abort their misguided sinful desire, yet they still choose to do that sin. I've got five kids, so that can be a whole range of them. Uh, Why didn't I want them to do that sin? Because it was wrong. Uh, It would hurt them or someone else. Or maybe even because of, my own, because of my own ill motives, it would look bad on me, maybe. That may be the reason I don't want them to do that behavior or that sin. After the sin is committed, what is my desire? I want them to recognize that they, what they've done. I want them to repent for that action and come to me in, in repentance and confession so I can restore the relationship. I want it to be restored. Even as an imperfect father... I want to give my kids good things and I want to make things right. And that's me. I may have ill motives about my name, but the Lord is perfect in all He does. His name is worthy to be held high. His name is worthy not to be profaned by us as His children. Right? How much more does He understand the wrongfulness of the sin? How much more does He understand how it hurts us or others? How much more does He... Is he concerned about his name, his namesake? And he's perfectly right in doing so. There's no sin in his, in his concern for his name where I may have some ill motives in my, in my name. <coughs> he is our Abba Father who makes it right, who has made it right through Jesus at the cross, and Jesus continually makes intercession for us at the Father's side. We're not left alone. Once we become a believer, we're not left alone. We've got the Spirit within us. We have Christ who intercedes for us, and we have a, a loving Father who's, who's pulling for us. 
Those who live according to the Spirit are children of God, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. And when you think about the heir, the inheritance that they'll, they will receive, um, a, a, a loving father wants to leave an inheritance to his kids. Right? I want to leave an inheritance to my kid. Not just financial. I'd like to leave something. Sometimes an inheritance can be a burden if it's a lot of, a lot of property sometimes. But I want to leave an inheritance of man, faith in Christ. A legacy of, of loving the Lord. A legacy of trying to, to live a life that honors and pleases the Lord. That's, the, that's what I want to leave for my kids. I want them to, to remember that. But the Lord has financial things as well. Is there anything that's not the Lord's? He has all things. As a believer, our inheritance will be what the Lord has. Not only we're an heir to, of God, we are a joint heir with Christ. This is, there's nothing that's beyond the Lord's wallet, His pocketbook. Everything He has is ours. It's yes and amen and in Christ. But when we get to heaven and we see this inheritance that we have, well, I think we'll be amazed by the, by the Lord's wealth, I guess. But that's not what's going to be awe, causing us to be in awe of Him. Those things will make, make Him who He is, His holiness, His righteousness, His purity, His love, His joy, His mercy, His oneness with the Holy Spirit and with the Son. Him, His glory is our inheritance. Our inheritance is Him. We have Christ. We have God. We have the Father. We'll see all these other things, but we're not going to be in awe about those compared to, to who He is personally. There's much more that Paul says about the glory that will be revealed one day and how the present suffering isn't even worthy to be compared to it. But we'll have to say that for another time because um, I couldn't get into those verses. To wrap this up, based on what we've covered today, it comes down to a couple of points and questions. Would your life be described as a living for the flesh? having the mind of the flesh? Or would it be described as living according to the Spirit, having your mind of the Spirit? When you think about your life, how would you describe your life? When you think about your life, how would others who know you best describe your life? Are you living a life that is being controlled by the Spirit? Are you living a life that's yielded to God? Are you living a life that pleases the Lord? Or is your life described by the flesh Getting ahead in this world only, no matter who I step on. Getting my way. Loving myself more than my family, more than my wife, more than your husband. How is your life described? How would you describe it? How would others describe it? Are you mostly concerned about this world and its pleasures? About what you can get by with or without getting caught? How you can get yours? Or get at someone else before they get something from you? Do unto others before they do unto you. That's not the verse. Not before they do it. I'd say consider what Christ has done. He came to earth. He took on flesh. He became a man. He lived a perfect life. A life of righteousness. Never sinned. Always did the Father's will. He died on the cross. cross that was designated for, for criminals. He did that in obedience to the Father and that those who would repent and put their faith in Christ, they would have salvation in Christ. This exchange that happens at the cross, 
my sin and your sin, if you're a believer, is put on Him at the cross and His righteousness is given to us. We are totally righteous in Christ. This righteousness we have is not something that, that we will get more righteousness one day. When, when God declares us righteous, we are fully righteous. We're not always living to it. not always living up to it now, but, but we're in His sight righteous. Why? Because we're covered with the blood of Christ. He sees the righteousness of Christ on us. But if your sin is still on you, He sees your sin. He sees the, an enemy. He sees a foe. Salvation is still offered to you. I don't know where you are with Christ. I don't know if your faith is in Christ or if it's in yourself. But turn to Christ. Put your faith on him, in Him and what He's done on the cross. Uh, we, we, there was a slide in the song earlier. I mean, if you could put that back up, that slide is from Turn Your Eyes upon, upon Jesus. Turn your eyes to the hillside where justice and mercy embrace. Justice and mercy of who? Of God. Justice because of sin. Mercy because of Christ. I mean, sin has to be paid for, but Christ has, has made this way of salvation for us. How can we neglect such a great salvation we hear in Hebrews? We can't neglect it. It's in Christ. There the Son of God gave His life for us and our measureless debt was erased. The sin that was weighing us down. If you're a believer, that sin's gone. That sin's paid for. And rest in Christ. But if you're not, that sin is still there. It's a measureless debt and it has not been erased. It's still there. So turn, turn your eyes to Christ. Turn it to Hillside. Thank you, Amy. If you are a believer and you're encouraged by the text today describing what God has done for us, for our benefit, for His glory, praise the Lord. May it encourage us to be more vocal in our witness and our gospel presentation to others. It's, man, think about what Christ has done. Think about you're not shackled to sin anymore. You have freedom in Christ. May that encourage us and, and propel us to, to share the gospel more often. Me is included. If you're a believer who struggles with assurance in salvation, the salvation that God's provided in Christ, look again at those verses in 2 Peter 1. Learn those verses and live out those verses. Add those things to our life in an increasing manner. Um, if you want to dis discuss any of these things, um, I'll be here after, after church. Many of us grab somebody and say, who can I talk to? Many of us will, will speak to you if you want to. But turn to Christ. If your faith is not in Him, it's in your own works. It's a, a failing attempt to salvation. It's a failing attempt to, for righteousness. There was a, a shirt that when Shane was youth pastor years ago said the righteousness that he requires is the righteousness that his righteousness requires him to require. If you're, if many, who remembers that shirt? Anybody? I know Pooh does because I always talk about it. And Stacy. But it's, there's a righteousness that, that's the standard and that's his own righteousness. And you cannot have that righteousness apart from Christ, no matter what good works you do. It's His righteousness. So yield to Him and be washed in righteousness at the cross. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for today. Lord, we thank You for Christ in us, the Spirit of God in us, the Holy Spirit in us. Lord, that it encourages us, it gives us assurance of salvation. Lord, gives us the power to overcome sin, gives us the power to, to do what's right. Lord, we thank You for that. Lord, for those who, 
who may be here and don't know you, Lord, I pray that you will speak to their heart, Father, convict them of their sin, help them to see the futility of relying on themselves, Father, and help them to today repent from their sin and turn to Christ and by faith uh, have that righteousness applied to them. Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.